0: History happened everywhere. A random place, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. The challenge find the fascinating, uncover the unexpected, and share the stories. You're listening to
1: History happened everywhere.
0: everyone, my name is Ryan, you're listening to History Happened Everywhere, and in the studio with me, my good friend and correspondent from around the world, it's Mr Peter Goddard.
1: Hail to thee, Ryan Weir. Ha-
0: hail to thee. So, Pete, um, you know it's July. It is. Right, you know that means it's summer. Allegedly, yes. Right, you know what you do in the summer? Ah, uh, picnics? Uh, you read my mind no it's way. national picnic month oh no way yeah
1: oh i love a picnic until i get there and then i realise there's ants and creatures all over the place <laughs> and then i think why did i bring so many sugary things to a place where flies and ants that like sugary things
0: i was wondering if there is going to be a national Dipnic month
1: and what pray tell and i feel like i'm going to regret asking this is a dipnik well
0: uh, this was raised to me uh, only this week in fact <laughs> <I'm> so nervous <laughs> <laughs> a dipnik it's where you only take foods that you can dip
1: ah so hummus
0: and celery sticks right
1: peanut butter salsa okay so if you did a low-fat version it'd yogurt. be a skinny dipnik a skinny dipnik exactly <laughs> 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 uh, yeah it's exactly right No, no, I do like dipping things, I'm not going to lie. Particularly a chip. A chip and salsa is one of my favourite things to dip. Not double dip, though. Well, what is double dip?
0: Where you you, you dip it, Mm -hmm. you eat a bit of it, and then you dip again. Oh no, that I'll same double dip. That I will been. double dip, my friend. I, you have just lost a lot of listeners. This is a whole Seinfeld episode about double
1: dipping. Well, I will double dip because I'm in my house on my own. There's no one else here. I'm not talking at no a buffet. Double, I don't want your mouth. I mean, in the COVID years, what are you doing double dipping? I'm double dipping at home. You're, you're, why, why are you fiddling with my delicious dip? No, you Do it at home. Not, not, that's what I'm dip saying. Nick. Well, I know I'm not going to do it at the dip, Nick. You better not do, do it at the dip, Nick. No, I'm not a social double dipper. I'm a private double dipper. Okay.
0: Now, like at the end of the picnic you've got or a dipnik and you've got your little blanket laid out yes with all the foods and everything on it yes have you ever been tempted to just do the magician thing and just pull the blanket out in one go one uh, swift no because yank. i think
1: the merest casual thought about it will reveal that there's a not a smooth surface <laughs> under the carpet and you will fling your dipnik utensils across the park yeah. like a lunatic
0: well hopefully you will have polished off all of the dips that i've provided
1: well, I probably would. I'm a greedy, greedy yeah, so-and-so. Clearly, with your double-dipping. Double-dipping like crazy. Mm. But yeah, no, I'm not coming to your picnic, Ryan, because you have so many rules and regulations.
0: But you get to see the magician and trick at the end.
1: I don't really want to see you toss litter across a park is what i think would be the net result of what you refer to as your magic trick yeah, fine be that way fine yes that's what you'll get for littering 125 pounds in the park mate
0: right look enough of this nonsense uh, everyone have a lovely national picnic month yes uh in the meantime we're going to get down to business yes
1: but where and when and
0: why? Topic. <laughs> no, I didn't really ask why, should I? <laughs> okay, so let's find out what the Dersolator selected for you last week.
1: All right, let's go.
2: Now, as with previous episodes, the first round draw is location. Uh, the desolator is humming away in readiness. Krampus, would you mind giving the button a good hard press? And let's get going. Okay, John.
3: the location is... Senegal.
2: Senegal. Well, that's the first time that the plucky African nation has been selected by the desolator. Depo, uh, would you mind pressing the button to select our time period?
1: Not of course, my child. And the time is... Bronze Age. That's 3,000 to 1,300. Before our Lord Jesus Christ.
2: Okay, a second appearance there for Bronze Age, appearing first in episode 12, Science in Turkey. And uh, finally, Krampus, would you please desolate the third section and give us our topic?
0: Okay, John. And the topic is... Flight.
2: interesting that is the first time that we have seen flight in the competition so far yes john i hope we'll be entertaining like uh, the slaughter of innocents. so there we are flight in senegal during the bronze age that's 3000 to 1300 bce so
1: before jesus
2: Christ. thank you gents for joining me today
1: thank you
3: thank you
0: So, Senegal. Senegal. It's exciting. Back to Africa.
1: Back to Africa. Yeah, I'm excited about this. It's uh, Africa is frequently a challenging topic just because it's mm. often underreported. But uh, I'm quite excited about today's Feast for the Senses. Yeah, Nice. Uh, so it's the Republic of Senegal. Okay. This is a name that derives potentially from the Portuguese transliteration of the name of the Zénega. I feel um, like you've spoiled the
0: surprise by saying from the Portuguese.
1: Well, is it a surprise? <laughs> <laughs> OK, it it might be a combination of the Serer people, the religions, supreme deity, or it might come from the phrase Sunu gol, which means our boat. So mm. I guess the, one of the stories is that somebody came and went, what's the name of this river? Pointing to the river and they went, that's our boat. <laughs> <laughs> In One of those classic <laughs> colonialist moments. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what I took from this is no one really has any idea where the word Senegal comes from. Or certainly there are so many theories that I'm not convinced it's clear.
0: OK. All
1: right. So, uh, where is it? It's in Africa, as we've discussed. Yep. Africa, picturing Africa in your head. Yep. You've got a sort of a horizontal bit, bulgy out at the top. Yes. And then a sticky down bit. Yep. Right. You're in the bulgy bit at the top on the left-hand side. Okay. It is, in fact, the westernmost country in the mainland of Afro-Eurasia. Ooh. So, it's as far west as you can go in Africa. On the mainland. Right, okay. So, borders the sea. Uh, very much so. Nice. The official language is French. Okay. But it also has lingua franca, as they say, of Wolof, which is a tribal language. Wolof. Yeah. Um, there are tribes, a bunch of different people there, but including the Wolof, the Fula, and the Serer people, who we will meet a little bit later. Nice. And, yeah, so it's like about two-thirds of the way down the bulgy bit of Africa, way on the west. It's got a country called Mauritania to the north. It's got Guinea and Guinea-Bissau to the south, Mali to the east, and Gambia on the inside. Gambia's on the inside of Senegal? Yeah. So it's got a maritime border with Cape Verde on the west, and it's got Gambia on the inside. Okay, you're going to have to explain how that works, because what? It's like an island inside of Senegal. Almost. It's almost an enclave, as Paul Dursley, I think, has talked about previously. um, So you have the country of Senegal, which Mm. is sort of a chunk on the coast of Africa. And then in the middle, more or less, of Senegal is a river called the Gambia River, I think. And if you take a strip about 10 kilometers either side of that river, all the way up to the end of the river... That is the country of Gambia, wholly enclosed on all sides bar the sea by Senegal. Oh, what, how does that ever happen? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mystery. That this this ribbon of a, of a country that's that its widest is only about 50 kilometres across, and it's narrowest about 20 kilometres across. And like I said, it's got Senegal all around the outside. So you often hear people talking about Senegambia, which okay. if you just put them both together you've got what looks like a normal <laughs> normal country right yeah uh and that's known as senegambia senegambia yeah
0: cool do they i mean i mean uh, we're perhaps straying into the gambian territory but do they have the same language do they share similar yeah i mean or are they very I
1: distinct cultures the, the impression i got in my small amount of research was they're very much similar places right? okay they're, they're have similar tribal makeup, similar background. They're French colonies, and uh, so yeah, it seems to be fairly similar. Okay, so Senegal is approximately one hundred ninety-six thousand seven hundred square kilometers. That is thirty-five percent of a France. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it sounded small. Yeah, it's relatively small, especially for that area where you've got these enormous countries. Yeah. But uh, not a lot of people, sixteen million people. so slightly more than a third of size, but uh, sixteen million people versus sixty seven million in France. So it's quite thinly populated. Yeah, no, that is small. It's I mean, it's not tiny, but it's uh, not gigantic and thinly thinly partially populated what's it like geography wise there's a mix of some mangrovey type stuff on the coast and wetlands there's uh savannah so it gets drier and dustier it's just underneath the sahara desert basically so it's just where you start to get greenery again after having been through the desert if you manage to make it through so i would imagine you'd like to listen to the national anthem quickly oh you know i love the national anthems This is probably my favourite national anthem as This yet. is a cracker, isn't it? I really like this one. And you're going to like it more in a minute.
0: That was almost the Paul Dursley song. <laughs> I'm going to play that in a minute. Can I just play the bit that I think sounds like Paul Dursley's song? Mm-hmm. He's the judge, he's the judge, judging all of the things we does.
1: anyway right but we'll get this The, the lyrics to that were written by senegal's first president in 1960 he was a poet and philosopher there is an argument to be said that all our leaders should be philosophers. There is this and philosopher poets. king, right? That's a, a very strong argument, but it's got great lyrics. It's like everybody strum your koras, which is kind of African stringed instrument. Beat your balafons, which is kind of xylophone. The red lion has roared. The tamer of the bushland has leapt forth in a single bound, dispelling the darkness. Sun upon our fears. Sun upon our hopes. Rise, brothers, for Africa has united. I love that. It's cool, isn't it? This is the best national film we've had. Oh, yeah, I really dig one. There's also a really nice line in the middle of it, which is, the Bantu is our brother, as is the Arab and the white man. Oh, so nice. it's a little unifying kind of a uh, feel. Which, and uh, the white man. It's an inclusive thing. It's a place that's uh, for everybody is what I, I keep coming across. And the final line, uh, the final line I want to share was, we say yes to death but not to disgrace. I thought you were going to say not today. (laughs) But not this day. Um, Flag wise, it's a green, yellow, red, Pan African colours uh, with Mm -hmm. a green star in the middle. Mali next door is the same flag without the star, actually. So these are the the classic African colours you see, which is (laughs) a phenomenon we saw in Singapore as well, where the neighbouring countries have very similar flags because the sort of meaningful colours are sort of culturally similar.
0: Yeah, although they have a purpose, a flag, which is to be easily identifiable. And if everybody looks the same.
1: It's slightly confusing. It it really is, because I'm looking at it and it kind of looks like the Jamaican one. Yeah, I I concur with that for sure. A number of different flags. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the capital city is Dakar, which you may have heard of. What's Dakar? It's right on the west. It is on this little promontory, this westernmost tip of the country. And it is the finishing point of the Paris-Dakar rally. Oh, okay, Yeah, I have heard of that. So that was a a race that was uh, conceived in 1979, which was basically across the Sahara Desert and was a really tough uh, race. Was that the one that Thatcher's son got lost on? I'm not sure. He definitely got lost in the desert one time, so quite possibly. I think it was that one.
4: Hello, this is the voice of the internet, Mark Thatcher. The son of British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, did enter the Paris-Dakar rally. Prior to starting the race on 9 January 1982, Mark was quoted as saying that he had done absolutely nothing to prepare for the rally, but that it would be no problem. Unfortunately, there was a problem. Because Mark, his French driver and their mechanic went missing for a total of six days in the Sahara Desert, having wandered 50 kilometres off course. Upon his rescue, the UK Prime Minister paid £2,000 towards the cost of the mission to find him. Thank you.
1: Um, Language-wise, French for reasons that will be obvious soon, if you haven't guessed already. Also, Wolof, Pula Serre, Kangin languages, Jola languages, Portuguese, Creole. In fact, there's over 39 distinct languages in Senegal. Wow. Uh, And this is, again, the legacy of colonialism where maps are drawn. Look, that's a country now. And it's like, well, loads of different people here. Yeah. But even so, you'd still think, I mean, it's been over 100 years, right? you'd think within
0: 100 years, a lot of those languages would have dropped off.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends how widely you're mixing. the, The main languages are Wolof and French. Okay. Mostly Islamic country, 95% or so. Mm. And the currency, I thought this was quite interesting, is the West African CFA franc. Now, this is interesting because it's actually the currency of eight different states in West Africa. Benin, Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, Guinea-Bissau, Mali, Niger, Senegal, and Togo all share this one currency across their area, which I thought was an interesting euro for Africa, I guess. I guess so, yeah. Really good surfing there, apparently. I mean, you know I love my surfing. You're a massive fan, I know. You're uh, always... Hanging loose. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 it's got seven World Heritage sites. That's a lot of sp- that's, uh, World Heritage that's a sites. A heck of a lot of heritage, I would <laughs> say. <laughs> I mean, what's the average for a country, do you oh, reckon? I don't one? know. There's normally a couple, but two? seven seems like a lot. That is a lot, yeah, for such a small country. One of them is less thing to be pleased about. which is a place called Gori Island, which is has a history of it's the island where a lot of slaves were set off on their journey. Oh, right. Including a door that opens out onto the sea known as the Door of No Return. Wow. Um, it's also famous for having one of the tallest monuments, like statues in Africa, the African Renaissance Monument. Okay. Um, it was building, What's it of? It's a, I think it's a man and a woman and a child, or certainly a group, a small group of people. Right, okay. Uh, it was made in 2010 by a North Korean sculpting sculpting company. North Korean? North Korean. I guess they've got a lot of practice building massive statues. <laughs> you, okay. I guess it's if you want a gigantic monument, go to the police where the dictators like to put such things up, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. So can you name any Senegalese? Oh, um, there's going to be some footballers. There's there are a lot of footballers. I only wrote a couple down, but uh, uh, g- give me some. Give me El Hadji Diouf. Um, El Hadji Diouf. Yeah.
0: Patrick Vieira. Oh my goodness! Right. Okay. I mean, well, I consider him to be French, but he speaks French. So that's probably why.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and musically, Yussouf door. Don't know that. Uh, he is very famous. Uh, he did a song called Seven Seconds," a duet with Nina Cherry back in the day. Oh yeah. As long as there you go. That is seven seconds with Yusud and Door. Second. The other thing is uh it's known for th- it's got this concept called Teranga. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh hopefully. This is kind of translated as hospitality. Right. But it's a bit bigger than that really. It uh, emphasizes generosity of spirit, sharing your material possessions with strangers even not quite to the extent of our yakka yakka (laughs) just giving out everything (laughs) if you ask for it but um traditionally everyone eats from a large bowl or plate together and the best part of the meal will go always goes to the guests they just don't double dip uh they would not double dip i'm sure uh jisoo and actually said um he's got a song about it but which says someone who comes to your country when they arrive welcome them honor them so much that when they leave they will want to return that's awesome it's lovely isn't it i'm loving senegal so far so part of hospitality uh is they have a drink it's, uh, you will generally be welcomed in places with a drink called Bissap uh, this is made of the hibiscus flour which is common in the West African region. Actually, as a drink, this hibiscus drink, you can find it all over the world, actually. I guess in Caribbean countries, it's common as well. I think Mexico? All over West Africa. So it's called lots of different things in different places. But in Senegal, particularly, bisap is considered the national drink. Mm-hmm. And to make bisap, I think I've spotted the secret to bisap here, which is you take the hibiscus flour okay. and you sort of boil it up a bit, and then sure. it cools down. And then you add an absolute stack of sugar, <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah. And there's other... Everyone has their own personal bisap recipe, I guess. So some people have mint or vanilla, and they put different Ooh, flavorings in. This is delicious. Um, and I, instead of sugar, you can use honey. And that's what I did, because I've brought you some. Well, you made some. Yeah. You made some. I've made some. You. I have you made, made some. You made some. With my own fair hand. Wow. Okay. So let's give it a go. I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. So you were probably wondering why I gave you that glass of ice, so you'd have yeah, a I nice, was wondering. nice bisap on ice. So if you just fetch your glass, okay, we'll do this. All right. Okay. So... I kept this one simple. I just added honey. And There's a lot the, of it. The, the, the hibiscus. So let's try it. All right. Do you need to mix it first or? No, that's it. It's, it's done. It's this this right. what it is. All right. Get it in there. That's oh, a beautiful colour
0: as you poured that. It's
1: a nice deep ruby red, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's not a strong smelling thing, is it? I think that's why. I'm I, I, I read that it was quite bitter. So that's why you put a lot of sugar in to offset that. But let's mm. uh, should right. give it a go. Cheers. To Senegal. Senegal.
0: Oh, I've got big mouthful. It's syrupy. It's got, um, Oh, it's quite tart as well. It has got a tart. There's a bitterness to it. It's got a tea-like flavour to it.
1: That's delicious. Yeah, I quite like that. Well done, Senegal. Well done, Senegal. Okay. So that is the country as it is today. I'm going to take you on a whistle-stop tour of the history, although we are going back to the Bronze Age. Okay, doke. So, uh, as with African history in general, uh, a lot of blanks that we don't know because of oral traditions and not a lot of uh, recorded history. Necessarily, we know there're a bunch of kingdoms that were created around the 7th century, Takrur was created in the 9th century, in the 13th and 14th centuries, the Jolof Empire was uh, created in this in this area. The them of the rice? Yes, absolutely. Jollof rice is very famous in Senegal as well. It's uh considered a very much a, a national dish as well. Okay. Uh, mid 15th century, somebody arrives from Europe and it is Uh, the portuguese the portuguese they uh were followed quickly by the french though so Hmm. actually the portuguese didn't have much impact because in 1677 the french gained control of the island of gori which is that world heritage site which was the slaving port essentially okay they basically was the colony of the french until 1959 when senegal and the french sudan merged to form the mali federation they became independent in 1960 that federation lasted just a couple of months basically and it oh, wow. broke up three months later so june the mali federation was created yeah august senegal uh went no we're, we're out Uh, and Senegal and what was Sudan is now the Republic of Mali, became independent and separate. Leopold Senghor was our philosopher-poet who becomes the first president, and pretty fairly peaceful and democratic from then on, actually. We've had some quite difficult countries to cover where it's been quite violent and upheaval abounds, but Senegal has managed to keep it pretty stable. So that president lasted till 1980. He he retires, transfers power peacefully to his successor, a guy called Abdou Diouf. Diouf, is that how you pronounce it? 1999 they have an election the opposition guy wins again it was an election that was deemed free and fair by international observers which is another thing that we often haven't seen in previous uh, African histories and then in 2012 the incumbent president lost and a guy called Mackie Saul was elected and he is today's president Hmm. so that's Senegal actually quite quite a calm history really Uh, comparatively yeah Uh, but our task is to go back to 3,000 to 1,300 BCE. Yeah. Why uh, is it such a broad topic? It's such a broad topic because that those are the years that are generally considered to be the Bronze Age. Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing that I found out, mm-hmm. which is... A pointer to how Eurocentric our learning is, Yeah, there was no Bronze Age in sub-Saharan Africa. Oh, wow. Okay. What basically happened was they went from the Stone Ages, of which there are sort of middle, late and early, Yeah. Uh, straight into use of iron with the introduction of Europeans or no the iron the, there is plenty of evidence to suggest thing. that yeah they totally skipped the bronze thing there is plenty of evidence to suggest that some of the earliest iron making actually in the world was in Nigeria and this this region okay. more broadly and so yeah that the doing the bronze age actually <laughs> didn't happen in in sub-saharan africa wow okay that's really cool i don't know why we
0: say the bronze age then to talk about the world
1: well it's it's one of those things that you it's it's very much a thing it it marked out a certain uses of technology but it's very much a european thing Mm. um and uh, somewhat into asia as well but you know, the way we're brought up, you just think the Bronze Age is a sort of global phenomenon. But yeah, just globally isn't. everyone discovered yeah. bronze at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just mm. not the case. They just, just, in Africa, they went, yeah, I'm going to wait for the iron, actually. <laughs> <It> sounds better. <laughs> <I just laughs> wait. Yeah, okay. Wow. So, and part of the problem here is obviously sub-Saharan, that the Sahara is a real barrier to the transfer of ideas and goods and tin is quite rare anyway, so iron is is easier in many ways because you only need iron ore and then yeah. you're off and running, right? We're not combining things that don't necessarily live together.
0: It's a shame you can't do much with sand. They could have had the glass age.
1: They, they, well, <laughs> with the, Sahara, the massive yeah. abundance of sand, it's like, mm, we can use this stuff. <laughs>
0: Just rock up there. The Portuguese turn up and they're living in these. Giant, double-glazed, pyramid
1: buildings. (laughs) I don't know, man. Is this greenhouse an excellent idea in West Africa? (laughs) You look hot. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) So my topic was flight. Hmm. Now
0: yeah i'm just so intrigued to see where this goes yeah
1: regarding the discovery of a bronze age helicopter <laughs> <laughs> the, there wasn't one i was rather um, hoping for some hot air uh, balloon nobel prize for my findings but <laughs> no no none of that so it must um, have been like a hot air balloon or something must there in right. three thousand years ago
0: hang glider kite no no again all North this stuff China was uh,
1: the, even our earliest records are like da vinci aren't they that's thousands of years after this period so we have to look to the birds don't we we do so I, <laughs> I Googled the birds of Senegal, and the first result to come up was the ostrich. <laughs> well, right. that doesn't help me much with my flight topic. So <laughs> thanks, ostrich, but no thanks. I think that still fits. <laughs> I think that's cool. The ostrich, all right, the non-flying flight bird. But um, actually, Senegal is something of a paradise for birds birds in general and there's a couple of reasons for that but just really quickly to talk about how the climate was back then there was there's thing called the african humid period this is when there was wetlands of vegetation across the sahara sahara wasn't a desert at that time i think we've covered it before in algeria um, yeah. so the african humid period ended about five or six thousand years ago so that's really tipping into where we're going but fundamentally it was before our period so we can i think we are safe to assume that environmentally it's fairly similar now to what it was then and we don't. don't. Don't have to worry about the African humid period. Okay. So I'm going to go with it. Kind of looks the same as today, and that's going to include the birds, right? Mm -hmm. One of the reasons it's a really good place for birds is it's it's right on what's known as the East Atlantic flyway, really. Which is uh, this is a migration route for winter for Arctic migrating birds. So there's a basically it's a stopping off point. So you fly, you're you're a bird. Imagine Mm -hmm. you're a bird. You fly across the Sahara and then you go right one of the earliest stopping off points you're going to find just across the Sahara is wetlands in Senegal. Mm-hmm. So Senegal is a major spot for this. It's really good for bird watchers today and so you can imagine that it was equally good at, back in the day for these birds. So it's got west wetlands, it's got desert scrub as well so there's a real variety of uh, climates for, or well, not climates but environments for birds mm. and it's, it's a really nice bus stop on this Atlantic flyway. It's got about 700 species of birds uh, and I'm going to fill the time by listing all of them. All 700. <laughs> the next
0: three quarters <laughs> of an hour of
1: this podcast. End is. of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so a third of these birds are winter migrants, so they just visit on their their journey. Uh and the spotted redshank is one example of a bird. This one travels 6,200 miles to get there.
0: Is that like round the world? 10,000 pounds from Russia. Wow, that's a long way.
1: Right. So in in I mean, Orton, presumably
0: it stops along the way, right?
1: Yeah, it's going to stop off for a snack every now and then okay because there are some birds that fly forever right yeah some of them never land don't they but yeah. I, no I, I don't know but i think the the fact that these guys are, are stopping off here mm. i suspect they're and some of them are big as well so then they're, they're going to need a lot of energy
0: those birds that don't ever land how come they haven't evolved to not have legs that's a good question they
1: must land sometime huh. does anything really fly all the time am i misunderstanding evolution no, I don't think you're misunderstanding me- me- evolution. I think you, I just, I'm not sure, we'd have to look into get the voice of the internet to say, is there truly a bird that never lands? Because I would agree with you that a bird that never landed would have no need of legs.
0: Yeah. Is there a bird that doesn't have any legs? Like a weeble. Like those <laughs> little wobbly <laughs> clown things you can push over and they wobble straight back
1: up. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say no. Uh, I'm sure the voice of the internet will back me up. Back Side- me up, lady. Side note. A weeble would be a good name for a bird. A weeble? Hmm, yeah. A lesser spotted weeble.
0: Yeah.
4: (laughs) (laughs) The common swift spends nearly all their life in the air and almost never touches the ground. They cannot land on flat surfaces because their wings are too long and their legs too short to take off. Instead, swifts spend long periods in the air and only occasionally land on vertical surfaces which they can grip with their feet. While there are no birds which have evolved without legs. Hummingbirds have very small legs and feet and belong to an order of birds called apodiformes, which is Latin for footless. In fiction however, the mythical bird called the martlet is described as having no feet, never roosts, and is continuously on the wing. Thank you.
1: Right, so in Northern Senegal, one of the UNESCO World Heritage sites that I mentioned, that we're seven, seven? yeah, is this wetlands that's a stopping-off point for these birds. It houses a million and a half birds when it's fully occupied. Wow. You can find African spoonbills, cormorants, pink flamingos, great egrets. I guess the less great egret doesn't yeah. get there. Who knows? You are a great egret. You. You are a great egret. You're charming, you're funny, you're capable, and gosh darn it, people like you. You are a great egret.
0: Hello, Uh, Mr. Less Great Egret. We're ready for you now. If you had access to a million and a half birds, you could use that as a resource as well. Yeah,
1: So you tether your birds birds. to a string... Right? And off yeah. you
0: go. Yeah. Like you could James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, exactly. That's. Uh,
1: I'm absolutely certain that happened all the time in Bronze Age Jennifer. <laughs> They'd just, just be flying around all over the place. I don't know how they lost the technology. That's uh, one of the great mysteries. Of Unless the they don't have any legs to tie your cord around. I'll loop it around his little <laughs> chubby body, wouldn't you?
0: Just ask it to hold it. <laughs> <in> it's <laughs> <His mouth. beak. laughs> well, You have to ter-
1: first learn how to speak with the birds. Yeah. It's a challenge i'm going to talk to, to you about pelicans i picked pel- i had to pick a bird because i thought if i list you 700 birds you're not going to be happy
0: can i can, before you start though can i just say that pelicans make me feel really queasy yes because i've seen that video online where it eats a pigeon yeah yes and they it really will do that <laughs> like live and the pigeon's trying to get out of its mouth yeah you see it in its little it makes me seriously really my bad, throat, throat is it? closing <laughs> up thinking <laughs>
1: about it i have a link to that here if that's uh of oh, did you oh have uh, i jumped, jumped ahead, ahead? You have. yeah um, sorry but yeah these are very big birds they've got the second largest wingspan of a bird. Horrible thing. It's just behind the albatross. These are white pelicans in this area, but their babies are actually black or grey. All oh, right. right. Then they go white as they mature. Okay. Apparently they fish together in groups, so they're quite pally. Uh, and they're famous, obviously, for the big pouchy, bulbous pouch under their uh, bill. Which is called the gular pouch. The gular pouch. gular pouch. It's not used to serve to store food, which is a, I think there's a poem or something that says uh, that's where it keeps the food, but that's not the case. Huh. It's basically like it's uses like a fishing net to scoop okay. up things from the water.
0: So it pushes the water out and keeps whatever's. Yeah, left in Yeah, yeah. So out.
1: it contracts and sprays out the water and it then swallows all the fish that it gets. It can hold huh. three gallons in that sack.
0: Wow, what's uh, that in English? Pints? Five liters. I don't know. Five maybe, liters or something okay. like that. It's a lot isn't
1: it oh yes it's significant and yes they they do eat things other than fish including pigeons in london too. were you going to
0: show me a link of the pigeon <laughs>
1: uh I, I have the link here but i wasn't going to show it to you i was going to mention it i was going to mention the incident but uh yeah you foresaw this it's really horrible so when they fish they also sometimes form hunting parties so they can line up in a u shape and kind of flap towards the middle and drive the fish into the middle so they can scoop up the fish either in shallow areas or just in a sort of nice little dense right. pocket so they're quite smart how thick do you think the gulag is? It's got to be quite robust, hasn't it? Because it's, I mean, if you can trap a pigeon in it, then they're pretty yeah. vigorous little creatures and fish aren't going to just sit there waiting to be swallowed, are they? No.
0: And do they have a crop
1: like like regular birds, do you think? That. Yeah, I don't know. They do have toachy palmate feet, <laughs> which I thought was interesting. And then I found out that it just means they connect all of their four toes. Most, a lot of wading and aquatic birds just have three toes connected with webbing, but uh, it goes all the way round. They're four. Yeah. Uh, there are other birds that have that, including cormorants, gannets, and boobies. <laughs> yeah. I only kept that fact in so I could say boobies. Yeah. <laughs> Five, three, one, eight, zero, zero, eight. Exactly. That's a, the calculator classic <laughs> from elementary school. <laughs> So in medieval Europe, it was believed that when food was scarce, a mother kept pelican would stab themselves with their beaks and use their blood to feed their chicks. So that Christian artists really picked up on this as a motif. So you'll find pelicans in medieval Christian art. But like with most of these things, how did that ever come about? If they don't actually do that, who saw that for the first time and thought, well, that's a thing? Or um, they just made it up? Or One of the theories I read was that they were just seen preening, so they're... Right. Sort of like birds pecking do pecking at themselves but how they didn't think well there's tons of birds that do that and why the pelican got this particular rep yeah. I don't know maybe just one had a wound and it just looked that it way it looked or that way yeah
0: it's funny though isn't it yeah. and then
1: that becomes like a whole big thing goes
0: viral, goes viral. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So uh, I, I'm going to talk about nostrils just because it's so amazing that the internet has things, including a video called Does a Pelican Have Nostrils? <laughs> right? As if this was something that was on everyone's mind. But it was on mine by that time. Right. So uh, uh, they do have nostrils, but it's uh, covered over by a bony material mm. because it actually houses uh, a... Mouse. No, a glandy thing okay. that filters the salt out of their blood so that they can drink seawater what they drink seawater through their nose no 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 they could drink seawater and that you intake a lot of salt like that yeah and they have a filter in their not well not quite in their nostril but involving the nostril that filter the, the salt out of their blood so that they don't die of salt poisoning
0: oh i don't quite understand the, the
1: biology behind that but okay so sure. you, you drink a lot of salt I believe it it goes into your blood your filter takes it out it's kidneys for the salt but why is it in the nose then it's evolved that way okay Fair enough. Evolution. Yeah, I guess so. It just seems an odd place to put it. Um, yeah, I don't... I mean, this is an intelligent design. Why did you put that there? I suspect it was spare space that... Uh, yeah, I guess, maybe. So it's not a nostril at all. So does a pelican have nostril? Yeah. Yes and no. Why do I want to know what it tastes like? What, the pel- pelican's nostril? Yeah, the nostril filter. That's probably quite salty. Would I'm be my actually guess. crunchy. <laughs>
0: like, uh, I, in my mind... Ah, like a kind of honeycomb I would
1: so want to reach into my bag and go, well as it happens Ryan, I have a pelican <laughs> nostril right here <laughs> but unfortunately for me I did yeah. not manage to purchase Seriously, online <laughs> it's pelican it's like nostrils.
0: it's like got air holes in it I'm imagining <laughs> like a like a honeycomb <laughs>
1: inventing pelican that's organs that's why i
0: imagine it would the texture would be like were you to find a pelican
1: a dead pelican
0: because i'm not killing one to taste
1: it no obviously but yeah, you know just gonna find a road price pelican. Out yes. with a little pen knife well i'll keep an eye out on the side of the road for any pelicans that might be uh yeah. deceased sort of oval shaped i might drop on london zoo an email and see if they, see if they can if, help yeah, us. yeah like well. if one
0: dies we're just going look look guys you know, what are you gonna do you just throw it away exactly
1: it's only I just going want to the trash anyway, right? In the It'd be recycling. really salty. <laughs> nice,
0: tasty snack.
1: <laughs> All right, so we are now a pelican and we are going to take flight across Bronze Age Senegal and we're going to fly across the landscape. Cool, we're going to go man. south. Um, We're going to go south until we come to the Saloom Delta, which today is a UNESCO World Heritage (laughs) Site. Of course it is, is, yeah. (laughs) This is an unspoiled mangrove swamp. Okay. It's about 120 kilometers south of Dakar, uh, home of a group of people called the Serer people. And you will see here. Well, actually you actually won't see much here. You're just going to see mangroves to start with. But okay. what you will see if you landed, you might see the start of some shell middens. Shell middens. Shell middens. M I D D E N. Okay. So a midden is a like a dump basically. It's a kitchen waste heap. Ah. Huh. Right. So you may you you see in Shakespeare time, you'll hear them referring to a midden as a that's oh. a sort of insult. Okay. It's a, it's not done for domestic waste and it's usually bones and shells, right? Right. So who's leaving it? Well, here's the thing, right? So back in the day, you wouldn't see these things being very big because there's not many people we i'm assuming there are people even and we're not totally sure but anyway these shells are left behind when people get mollusks like snails and oysters and things like that so these things today are massive so in this area you see these massive piles of ancient chucked away shells basically okay so what happens in these areas is a lot of carbon calcium carbonate in these shells so it makes the the middens themselves alkaline which r- reduces the amount of decay so you can find stuff in it so archaeologists love of a midden because it's stuffs preserved plus the midden itself tells you something and you can date the shells in the midden as and, well and these are discarded by humans these are discarded by humans so they figured out that shell middens have been constructed in this area for uh, at least 5,000 years Okay. in this same area people have been doing more or less the same thing for food back then they would have been tiny, tiny heaps and now they're absolutely huge effectively man-made islands of all no this disposed way. away stuff yeah absolutely so at first they weren't even believed to be man-made they were considered to be natural it's only in the 30s that when someone went hang on this is just stuff people have been chucking mm-hmm. away so in the bronze age they were probably quite small but they've been growing for hundreds and well, thousands of years and they are still used by um the the Sirea people they have fishermen called uh, neominka mm-hmm. they were studied by the archaeologists as well to see how they do their shell collecting today so pretty much they think life hasn't changed that hugely in literally thousands of years so it's women and children's job to collect shellfish whilst men go out and actually the fish, fish, mm-hmm. but, and they they go out. They they actually set up temporary visit villages for these things. They're mostly the rather unappetising sounding bloody cockle and the mangrove oyster. Mm-hmm. And there are some other shells but mostly they're um, they're these two the oyster and the cockle
0: Can you imagine 5,000 years of discarding?
1: 5,000 years well that's how you get these things so big that they're effectively small islands and mm. trees grow on them and uh, I don't know why I'm into texture today but I kind of want to walk over an island made of shells I kind of want to do that as well but I, sp- I expect probably disappointed <laughs> <laughs> But um, one of the p- problems that archaeologists have in Senegal, I was reading this archaeologist's paper, he's like, it's very difficult because the locals think you're mad because you're literally digging through rubbish. Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> and they have an oral tradition primarily. So this notion of digging through rubbish to find stuff out is crazy because you just ask your storyteller to tell you the stories of the place. And okay. actually, the, the archaeologists are considered uh, frequently to be mad, <laughs> definitely considered to not be respectable profession because you're just t- digging through the garbage and manual well, on top of that, yeah. So, <laughs> one of the guys said, and uh, people keep offering me new pots for the, for the pots I found. They're like, I wish you got that desperate for a pot that you're digging oh, it out of rubbish? <laughs> they think they're, they're keeping just want to it, give it to use a new it. One. Aww, <laughs> That's great. So, um, all of the one of the things they they re- re- realised about these deposits, they're all single species, and this made them conclude that actually they were shellfishing for trade rather than food. Because where they found villages where it was a feed yourself kind of midden, you'd catch all sorts of different creatures and and your waste area would be quite diverse Mm -hmm. but because this is single shell they think this indicates that it was actually traded which means obviously people sophistication population sufficient to transport goods um shellfish are very good because apparently you can dry them quite easily and they become a nice portable food so they're quite good at uh, being preserved i'm not going to chance it So yeah, this indicates actually a quite sophisticated setup with trade, not just people living hand-to mouth as it were.
0: That's a fairly common thing that we've we've discovered through doing the series though, isn't it that we imagine just because it's 5,000 years ago that people were sitting there banging rocks together yeah, and absolutely. trying to you know string words together but the reality is is that this was a hugely interconnected network international network of people that just didn't happen to have
1: our modern luxuries completely completely so so you know i said these get pretty big um, the shellfish or the people the middens oh, the middens yeah the islands yeah so one of them Diorum Bumak, is 250 meters by 450 meters and 12 meters high wow that's a lot in them that is substantial, and this grew ten meters in less than seven hundred years, in the sort of the years five five hundred or thereabouts to about twelve hundred, which suggests about one point three five million cubic meters of waste.
0: <laughs> wow! It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because, like in our Western culture, there is a habit of burying our rubbish, getting it out of view. But they seem to just keep piling it up. There's no effort to sort of discard it. it they just uh, put it in well, one area. Actually, and it's-
1: slightly. That it is just put in one area but it's always away from the village so that it is discarded at a but distance. it doesn't like wash away with the tide and it doesn't you know no not... no, I guess not it's not certainly not concealed it's bes- right. the landscape at this point yeah exactly uh, and in fact actually it becomes part of the landscape and they start burying people on them so they find tumuli on these wow. on these shell mounds so it started a bit later than our period they think about the 8th century they started burying people on the shell middens hmm. uh, so when someone dies <laughs> imagine what
0: they think when the archaeologists find a dead body they're like well we can just give you a new person like, just, <laughs> we have
1: alive people why are you doing this <laughs> <laughs> so yeah some of these shell moans go back to they've they've in the saloon delta they've carbon dated back to 400 bc so that's how long you're going back so a little bit out of our period but yeah, I'm assuming there were still people there. Yeah, sure. So that, that's one of the things our pelican who is flying. Mm. We'll see underneath them this shell midden, a small, tiny shell midden, and I think, oh, I wonder what's going to happen to that in a thousand years' time. And who knows? It'll be a giant network of man-made islands. Wait, your pelican is thinking this? Yeah, he's a very smart pelican. Officer! Officer! There's been a crime! Well, can I help you, madam? Yes, it's my neighbour. I want him arrested! Well, what's your neighbour done? He refuses to separate his shells.
0: I'm, I'm sorry, separate his shells? His recycling? I'm sorry, I'm not following. Oh, for
1: God's sake. Right, here's the thing. Every night, me and Snuggles go for a walk past the middens, and there he is, plain as day, bald as brass, doing a crime. Well, what's the crime? Oh, what are they paying for He was mixing his recycling Cockle shells and oyster shells all mixed together It's a crime madam that's not a crime It's criminally irresponsible that's what it is what, that, that
0: sounds like a matter for the council have you have you spoken with them
1: Well they're all a bunch of useless no nothing and I pay their wages so you have spoken with the council Look there's been a crime you've got witnesses. what are you going to do about it? Witnesses? Yes, me and Snuggles. And and Snuggles is... My pet pelican. Your
0: pet pelican. Yeah, are you deaf or do you just like the sound of my voice? I see. So what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to write up a penalty notice. Excellent. And I'm going to assign the maximum penalty available to me. Fabulous. And I'm going to give this to
1: you. To me?
0: Yes. Yes, well this is a fine for being in breach of the endangered birds act 3000 bce of which you are in breach and have confessed to an officer of the law Ten thousand cockles fine for ownership of a pet pelican payable by the end of the month but, but how we can't, don't worry but, madam we'll be responsible and properly recycle the shells
1: So we're gonna say goodbye to our pelican and here's our pelican saying goodbye to us. Okay. <laughs> That's it. It's that sort of honking noise was his call. Didn't hear that again? Yeah. I mean if you'd have said that was a hippo I'd have it's, I'd have said yeah. It's quite whoopee cushion ish, isn't it? Ah. <laughs> so yes, goodbye, Pelican. <laughs> 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 so uh, we're gonna board a different a different bird now. We are going to board the Senegalese parrot. Nice. Air Senegalese parrot. Uh, Right, so this is a bird of the open woodland and the savannah. This is where we're going. We're headed out. Uh, It's a gregarious species. It's always chattering away with some whistling and squawking. So I've got some parrot noises for you. Hang on. It's cute. Oh. Oh. See, so chirpy and whistly—that's your Senegal parrot noise. Yeah, he's—he's he's happy in the savannah. He's going to come with us, and he—he he lives for about twenty-five to thirty years in the wild. He's quite a long-lived creature. That's um, a really long time. Yeah, and in captivity, they—they can go up to fifty years. Wow, that's almost as old as you. It. The eggs are incubated by the female. Starting. <laughs> Jerk. But the eggs are incubated by the female for about 27 days, 28 days. And the hatch chicks don't open their eyes for two or three weeks. Oh, wow. Which strikes me as a flaw. But uh, they're totally dependent on the female for food and warmth. So she stays in the nest. Yeah. And her husband fetches out into the world and brings food back to the female and the chicks and guards the site. And he sort of does the fetching and carrying while mum's looking after you, little blind chicks. So, yeah, off we go. We're flying once again through the landscape. It's dry. It's dusty. It's open. Hmm. But what's that? It's a tree, a squat, very wide tree, uh, and it is a baobab. Oh, okay. I've heard of a baobab. A very famous African tree, a baobab is actually a prehistoric species. So, in our Bronze Age, we yeah. are definitely looking at baobabs. But not only are they prehistoric as a species, but they're believed to actually live for thousands of years. So, it is conceivable mm. that there is an individual tree that is still there today that we could be looking at that our parrot 5000 like our parrot years ago would have our is looked at and gone, "Oh, that little seedling looks interesting." That's amazing. So, <laughs> That's so cool. Right? And these are really big deal in Senegal. Hey, maybe our parrot, right, was eating some fruit or something, (gasps) did a little dropping. Could have planted it. Could be. The one that we're we're looking at today.
0: Isn't that lovely? Lovely
1: thought so it's actually the symbol of senegal the baobab tree it's on their coat of arms it's a baobab tree over a wiggle that represents the senegal river Uh Uh, it's known as the tree of life makes sense yeah if it Uh, lives that long why not well it's also known as the tree of life because it holds water in its trunk and bark well actually it's it does loads of stuff but it's it's got loads of names as well it's called the monkey bread tree the upside down tree and the bottle tree Hmm. so that's because it holds this water this moisture
0: they can in in like liquid form like you can cut it and it pours out or no i don't
1: think it's in like a bucket you just need to squeeze i guess it's like a lot of these things we have to sort of squeezy pulper yeah that's fine i'll accept either okay good these huge thick chunks they can have a circumference of 25 meters
0: wow okay circumference is where it goes all the way around all the way around yeah Yeah.
1: they are consistently in the dry savannah and because it's quite featureless they're frequently used by locals as landmarks so they become quite important in your area because it's actually a landmark tree. Mm. Uh, Their fruits are these big pods called monkey bread or the cream of tartar fruit. So you can eat the fruit, you can pulp the fruit, you can use oil from the seeds, you can use the shell to make calabashes or jugs, essentially. You can harvest the bark, you can make rope out of that. Um, But most popular, you can make a rich... Vitamin C drink that's kind of sherbet-like, and I have some for you here today. Nice, another drink. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm just uh, treating you with the kind of hospitality you can expect from it. the Senegalese. So the I did try to get some actual baobab fruit, right? Surprisingly hard to get. Okay. So uh, what we've got here is a powdered version. Ooh, which is. Uh, have, have a little look at that. That's okay, a little...
0: it's in a little pot. It's got Aduna baobab. Super fruit powder, rich in vitamin C, high in fiber, 100% organic, wild harvested. Uh, on the back it says, Discover Aduna baobab, the 100% organic, nutrient dense, raw fruit that dries naturally on the branch. It's almost 50% fiber, it's an excellent source of vitamin C. Uh, ingredients are organic baobab fruit pulp powder it's gluten-free no added sugars it's raw it's paleo and it's vegan according to this and it contributes to normal energy release immune function and skin health blend two to four teaspoons into your favorite smoothie sprinkle onto porridge or
1: mix with yogurt yeah so we've got a natural yogurt here so hopefully flavor not we'll be able to come through
0: yeah and it's a very fine powder it's like a talcum powder almost isn't it it's really really light it's sort of Combine it. We just put two, because we've only got a small bowl here, right? We've put just two teaspoons in, not not four. And um, it's made it very thick. Yeah, mine's
1: getting a sort of doughy consistency. <laughs> exactly, yeah.
0: Okay, right. So I think I've mixed mine sufficiently. Okay. All right, here we go. Yeah. Let's eat baobab. Bao. Let's do it. All right, cheers. Here we go. Cheers, uh, mate. I did not stir that properly and just got a mouthful of powder. <laughs> Delicious powder. <Ooh. laughs> oh, it is sherbet-y. The yogurt gives it a twangy kick. I'm gonna try
1: some straight powder, because all I can taste is yogurt. <laughs> I can't taste anything at all. I mean I'm getting a very mild sherbety flavour. But I imagine you'd be delighted for it on a out on the savannah if you came across sure. one. So here's a, a an interesting additional thing about the Baobab tree. Yeah. So there are sixteen trees in Senegal that have been classified as historic monuments. So you know what I'm saying? They're really oh dear. Oh dear. You look like you're really struggling there. I put too much in. You did? <laughs> have you turned it into a sort of claggy mess? Oh, yeah, you have. That doesn't look... That looks, that's hard going, isn't it's it? It's chewy now. <laughs> oh, no. You've made a sort of baobab dough yogurt.
0: <laughs> yogurt shouldn't be chewy, mate.
1: No, that's not. that's not good. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna neck it. So you tell me more facts. Right. So so sixteen of these trees are classified as historic monuments by the Ministry of Culture in Senegal. Um, they're kind of a sacred place, uh, and one of the things that they do is they also actually bury celebrated people in them, and specific kind of celebrated people. So I, I, there are a, a type of profession, I suppose you call it, which is the griot. Griot. And they are these storytellers. They're a keeper of the historical records. You know, I said it was an oral culture. So mm. all of your history is carried around by this storytelling individual, your bard, if you like, who's a griot. And they are buried, the significant ones, in baobab trees. Wow. Baobab trees. How do they do that? So I guess they just kind of prop them up. Because the, the middle can sort of hollow out sometimes. Okay. grows So it's more like a ring of tree with oh, a, okay. a hollow middle. Right, right. And um, one guy, Abdoulaye Senne, who was a griot from the Surya community said we put griots in baobabs because they're considered sages they're the ones who reorient the community when there are problems they're repositories of knowledge and if they're buried underground it would be as though we were burying our history um and wait 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 why are you telling me this after I'm eating baobab that's uh that was a non grave baobab <laughs> okay I mean
0: it wasn't it didn't say that on the tub Oh, well, what is this
1: greetings
0: Who is that? Who are you?
1: I am the Baobab tree.
0: Oh, right. Well, I'm Derek.
1: I'm sorry, Derek, but I'm afraid you are dead. Oh. Yes. Where am I? You're inside me. As a griot, you have been buried by your people inside of my trunk.
0: Oh, right.
1: And now we are joined. Our essence is fused in a spiritual embrace. The ineffable, universal dance of consciousness. We are two, yet we are one. (laughs) Hmm, yes, I was going to get to that. Uh, who,
0: who's that? I'm Gary. I was a griot, you know, like centuries all like. I was buried here too. I'd love to tell stories, me. Well, I'm a griot so it's what we do, it. But you don't need me to tell you that, do I? But me, I just love a story. I've got so many stories for weeks, me. Just love to tell a good tale. Sometimes they say, if anything, I tell too many stories. Like, why don't you shut up, Gary? They say. But it's all for fun, innit? It's just a laugh, it.
1: And all that? Yes, yes, thank you, Gary. I'm sure Derek will come to enjoy both your stories just as much as I do. Um, and then this is temporary,
0: right? Oh, Phew. yes. Phew.
1: Yes, your stay will only last as long as the universe wait, does.
0: Wait, what? Yeah? We're gonna be besties forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And, and are there any other trees available?
1: I'm afraid not. You must dwell within the tree in which you were laid to rest. Oh, no. I am sorry, Derek. Well, So, so sorry, Derek. So, it's it's a special place. It's a sacred place. And it's a place where you might celebrate something like a birthday. Ryan, hmm. as of the transmission of this show, yeah. it's your birthday. Hey! Uh, so, I looked into uh senegalese birthday traditions Mm -hmm. and they don't really celebrate birthdays
0: (laughs) (laughs) how typical
1: However, I felt it would be remiss of me not to in some way mark this important day. Yeah. So I have purchased a Senegalese birthday feast for you. No way. And brought it today. For real? Yeah, we need to heat it up. But uh, I went to a chap called Abdoulaye in a place called La Baobab, unsurprisingly, in Brighton. A restaurant in Brighton. (laughs) No way. Called La Baobab. And he kindly cooked us. Um, I've got a few dishes here and we'll we'll talk about them as we eat them. Mm -hmm. But he cooked us a birthday meal for you.
0: Man, that is just amazing. Um, uh, this yes. is going to be my, the best
1: 25th birthday I've ever had Yes, and you've had a few So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to get the oven on and we'll uh, heat this up and see how it goes Alright, let's do it Okay, there we are. All right, here we go. So I've got you three dishes here. Okay. These are sort of classic Senegalese cuisine yep. from our friends at La Baobab in Brighton. Do go visit them. They were very helpful. Other Senegalese restaurants <laughs> are available. Yeah. Um, so the first one we're going to do is, uh, don't, I know you don't do fish generally, but I thought you ought to try this because this is considered the national dish, really, nice. of Senegal. Yep. And it's it's called, well, if you see it written down, it's Thieboudienne. Thieboudienne. But it's pronounced, I believe, Seboudienne. Sepagen. Sepagen. Okay. It's a smoked fish, so it's a fish dish, and that's really all I know about it, other than it goes well with a bit of jollof rice.
0: All right. So we have jollof rice. There's a lot of rice on this plate. There's uh, there's a lot of sauce. There's mysterious meat. There is chicken meat, which I recognize. And then there's some, like, mysterious little vegetable things. And cauliflower, Cepagen I recognize.
1: nice. has... has- these vegetables it's got a carrot which i also recognize Mm, i'm kind of tempted for the carrot first it's kind of plum looking thing i'm going for the fish first he's done it he's eaten the fish you're not allergic to something are you i'm not going to rush you to the emergency room no i'm hugely allergic to fish (laughs) okay so this is all very tasty going for a bit of chicken. Well, let me talk to you about the chicken then. Okay. Chicken is a, a yassa chicken. I think a lot of these you can find in West Africa generally, but with some regional variations. But this is a, a tender chicken with a lot of onions, basically, a lot mm. of caramelised onions. I noticed the onions on top when I was cooking. it. There's some mystery vegetables in my
0: fish dish. Any idea what it is? There's a green one. They look like giant olives, but inside they're soft like a tomato and they've got seeds like a tomato.
1: Yeah, I don't know what that is.
0: I'm going to dish three. Dish three, right. Dish
1: three is mafe. It looks like a curry. Uh, it's kind of more of a stew. Okay. This can be made with loads of different meats. It's a meat thing.
0: But there's dark meat. I've just cut through it and it's um, it looks
1: like a... a meat and vegetable stew. Mm, goat or something, maybe. So you'll find peanuts in the food quite frequently. It's a major crop. So I think this is a, a peanut stew. I can well. taste the peanut. Oh no, I can taste it. So there we go. Mafe, yassa chicken and sebujen.
0: I am enjoying all of this. This is delicious. What a lovely birthday treat. Oh, to be 18. On your actual birthday, you'll just have to listen to yourself enjoying your birthday meal. Mm. <laughs> I'm glad you got more than one dish. It's nice to try different things.
1: Yeah, I think these are fairly representative of uh, Senegalese food. They're the things that kept coming up when I was uh, doing my research. I'll tell you what, though. Cauliflower looks like a baobab tree.
0: <laughs> Cauliflower florette. <laughs> Done. Finished plate clean, Bosch. So
1: yeah, big thanks to Chef Abdoulaye.
0: Oh, is that his name? The mm-hmm. guy who cooked this. Mm-hmm.
1: Chef Abdoulaye. I tell you what, dude can cook. So I did try and find somebody to sing Happy Birthday to in one but uh, nice, I failed miserably, unfortunately.
0: Oh, okay. Well, there
1: oh, we no have w- it. I'm, I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna wash that down I'm with gonna, some hibiscus. A little bit of a hibiscus for a final Senegalese flavour. Oh, delicious. And final it is. For that brings us, Ryan, to the end of our trip to. Blight in Senegal from 3000 BC to 1300 BC, the Bronze Age that never happened.
0: Right, well, Pete, again, well done. That is a lot to cover off and
1: um, some really interesting stuff that I'm
0: fascinated. I absolutely adore Senegal.
1: I I did too, I I have to say. Again, it was one of those ones where you'd come come away from it thinking, yeah, I want to go check that out.
0: Check out Senegal. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's go check out Senegal with its weird Gambia residence.
1: (laughs) Stuck in the middle, a little (laughs) cut of Gambia sticking in the middle. Yeah, so strange. Right, you know what that that means? It's time to desolate. It's time to do the
0: desolation. That's the song. Is it? Yeah, I've just come up with that. Could we maybe
1: confer on that before <laughs> <Nope. That's laughs> so, done. it's done it's time to do the desolation there you go all right okay well uh, i'm going to press the button well yeah you, you you've got to you've got to do it hang on i'm coming around okay uh right i'm <laughs> right, when to you do- are ready i'm ready sir. i'm ready okay so your give me my task your, ta- your country your country is wild card.
0: Ooh! Ooh. For those people unfamiliar, the wild card is our default card, which allows me to select a country of my own choice
1: within a minute. Within one minute. Okay, but time starts after we've established the other items. Okay. So, uh, give me a time. Time period is Wright Brothers to Concord, So that's a time period of 1903 to 1976. Okay, I'm all right with that. Potential there. Okay, and are you ready for your topic? I am ready for my topic. And your topic is? Yeah. <laughs> curiosity killed the cat. Oh. So there you have it. <laughs> so, okay. so uh, curiosity, curiosity killed is, the cat. No, we don't have it. Oh, well, no, we do. We've, I'm about to put the pressure on. I'm not oh, giving you okay. time to think. Curiosity killed the cat. Uh, the Wright brothers to Concord. You've got one minute starting now. Okay, um... I'm not trying to put you off by saying things in your ear while you're can't. trying to think.
0: I wish we had a map. Why, can't, why didn't we get a map on the wall? And That's then I it. could
1: pick from the map. That would make things too easy.
0: Ugh. Greenland. Greenland. Yeah, Why well, I did Canada. is
1: selected. I did Canada before as a wild card, Right. Now I'm going to do Greenland. I'm not sure I see the connection. <laughs> They're near each other. Okay, right. Okay, Greenland. All right, your country is Greenland. Your time period is the Wright Brothers to Concord. Okay, and curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity killed the cat. I look forward to seeing what you come up with. Yeah, me too. I wonder what there was. I mean it's a modern
0: period, right? Nineteen oh three to nineteen seventy-six. Something was happening in Greenland.
1: You gotta find something, I'm sure well, of it.
0: I'm curious to find out. Like a cat. Well, you know what happened though to that cat? Got in all sorts of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, once again, Peter, this was fabulous. What a lovely treat. Thank you so much for thank all the time you. and effort that you went into for doing this episode. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. Um, I am going to read now from our script. OK, go. Please I know proceed. people might not know
1: that we read this from a script. might think we just naturally say the exact same thing each week <laughs> just because we are like automata.
0: Yeah. But look, listen. Uh, people say to me that can't possibly be a script it's so So natural (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay that's our show for this week Thank you very much for listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so fluid. It's, I mean, you wouldn't it's believe weird, right? weird Right,
0: reading it. I am literally reading this it's off incredible. the page. It's You're so talented. Yeah. Now, if you would like to get in touch, you can do that. And you can do that through email, which is Peter. HHEPodcast at gmail.com. We have social media, Peter at
1: HHEPodcast.
0: We'd love to hear from you. And you never know, if you get in touch with us, we might put you on one of the shows. Not um, like as a host, but no, like we I mean, might reference the fact that you'd, you'd got in touch.
1: We'll talk about you. We'll say something. Yeah, we'll um, say something nice. We'll definitely say something nice if you give us a review on Apple Podcast. Give us a review there. It really helps us, helps people find us, and Apple thinks we're good and tells other people about us. That's right.
0: And in the meantime, come back to us in a week's time, because in your
1: little podcasty holder, you'll find an episode of The Verdict. The Verdict. What is The Verdict, Pete? Verdict is where our good friend Paul Dursley, a highly educated, knowledgeable individual, reviews the previous show and tells us all the many ways in which we are idiots. And don't forget, we also have a large archive of our old shows, um,
0: which you can go back and have a listen to, many different places. Many different time periods. Many interesting, fun facts for you to share with your friends. So that's all the admin taking care of? No,
1: not quite. Isn't it? There's one more thing. Is there? Yes. We have a Dersolator. Oh, we do. If you fancy having a little play at history happening everywhere in your house, you can visit HHEPodcast.com and go to the section entitled Dersolator. And there you
0: will find a very funky, cool-looking derzelator machine. We had to give it a scrape and a
1: polish, didn't we? Because the we one that we actually use is... is pretty, uh, raw. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's rather good. You can go in there and uh, translate yourself a topic and play a bit of History Happened Everywhere at
0: Home. And if you do, let us know what ones you've done. If you find any interesting facts about time periods throughout time. And beyond. Indeed. And that's it. So, I guess all that's
1: left to say is... You've been listening to... History happened everywhere.